Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. I've been bombarded here on the GM Shuffle with tweets and DMs, people saying, what about Lombardi's picks? All right, this is wildcard playoff weekend. I need the picks. Don't worry, the picks are coming. And to reiterate, Mike's picks are 46-22-1 this year against the spread. So my man killed it. But right now, Michael Lombardi is dealing with a bit of an ailing back. Uh, shades of big pussy in the surprise. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I should have my suit on. We don't run. Remember when pussy's back when he took off when they raided that thing and he ran and they caught him, you know, and he's in that jogging suit and he got out. Oh, it's so good. It is back. <laughs> he threw his back out. But I'm not going to Puerto Rico. I can promise you that. We're going to start with Dave Gettleman. God, he's killing the Giants, isn't he? And Listen, there's nothing more hard in life, Mike, than self-reflection and self-criticism and I guess on that level, Dave Gettleman did state the obvious when he said, I'm not doing good enough. But as we kick off the shuffle with our Make Me Smarter segment, he pointed to the progress the team has made on and off the field as a justification as for being retained a third year, despite the fact, of course, Coach Pat Shermer was fired. So here's the list of reasoning, and then you and I can bat it around a little bit. But here's what Gettleman's saying. In addition to saying I'm not doing good enough, he did point out this. He believes they found a franchise quarterback with Daniel Jones at number six overall. He said, I really believe we've done that. Redoing the team's scouting system, both at college and pro levels. They've had a new grading system now for prospects. Hiring, quote, four computer folks who are assisting in the overhaul of the back end of their college and pro system. <laughs> Is he like a grandfather, a 90-year-old man? I would get some computer folks back there. Hiring a full-time staff psychologist, ramping up the analytic and technology piece. And this is my favorite part. The 68-year-old even mentioned meeting recently with, quote, a big-time analytics guy in his quest to learn and be open-minded. I mean, this is, sounds preposterous to me as this guy tries to defend his job. It was almost a Saturday Night Live skit, wasn't it? I mean, really, if Lauren Michaels could have written it, it probably would have been, right? <laughs> like, you could not have... If you're John Maris sitting in your office and you're watching this guy speak for your franchise, like, what are you thinking? Are you thinking, man, he's got this handle. He's smooth. He's savvy. First of all, I think what we should all learn, and we should go back to the movie. I think it was Patriot Games, or it might have been Clear and Pre I think it's Clear and Present Danger. Uh, Harrison Ford, yeah. Harrison Ford. When when Harrison Ford advises the president, when he says, what should I do? Those people were my friends. And everybody says, you've got to distance yourself from them. You've got to distance yourself from them, right? And Harrison's Ford character, Jack Ryan, says, no, you need to say, Mr. President, no, they were my dear friends. Embrace them. Even though they might have been involved in drug traffic, you got to embrace them. And so my advice for Gettleman would have been to start off the press conference with, look, it's not good enough. I'm fortunate to be here. I haven't done a very good job. We are going to work diligently in trying to improve this franchise. The mistakes we've made have been accumulation of a lot of mistakes that I have to take responsibility for. And I've been given the opportunity to keep going forward. You've got to defuse it before they attack you. He was like on the defensive the whole time. I mean, you know, he's so old school. Like people said, you know, he knows Matt Rule. He and Matt Rule worked together at the Giants. So I'm told reliably that when he would walk past the hall and see Matt Rule, he'd say, hey, kid, how are you? He, like, he, like, they didn't have any relationship. Well, it's funny. You mentioned clear and present danger. I remember Jack Ryan's quote, there's no sense defusing a bomb after it's already gone off. And that's what I also feel like feels like with this Giants team. Like, we already know the team is a mess. I mean, 
Think about what he's arguing in favor of what he's done, Mike. So franchise quarterback, I don't believe he's done so. I think Daniel Jones is all right. I don't think he's a franchise quarterback from what I've seen after one year. The rest of this stuff, redoing the team scouting system, okay, well, that bears to mind whether or not it's going to work out. I don't know if you're going to hit on these picks. You, you, just because you overhaul it doesn't mean all of a sudden you've found talent. And then essentially he's saying, we've had some more analytics. Dude, people have been doing analytics for 10 years now. Like, how behind the curve are you? Well, first of all, I mean, you know, in, let's go to another movie. Let's go to Founders, right? In the movie Founders, Ray Kroc doesn't become a billionaire when he finally figures out that he's not in the burger business. He's in the real estate development business, right? That can be another lesson to learn here for Dave Gettleman. He should just watch movies all day. But the, that should be another lesson is that Gettleman's in the information business. He's not in the talent selection business. He's in the information business. And that information allows you to then select talent. So when you say you don't have any interest in analytics, you're basically saying you don't have any interest in information. And you're in the information business. Like, seriously. And here's the problem is analytics is not the problem, right? It's not the problem. If you think analytics is going to tell you who to pick, you really don't understand it. It's giving you information for you to decide. Like I'll give you an example, Pat Riley of the Miami Heat. If you talk to anybody in the NBA, they are one of the few teams in the NBA that does not embrace analytical technology. However, their team is built with analytical technology. It's just from his instinct that he does it, right? He knows the recipes that the analytics already give him, so he doesn't really need it. Belichick's kind of the same way. Like, if you're in the business long enough, you know what really matters. And so if you're Gettleman and you, you could use some help on analytics, like, they're not going to tell you who to pick, right? They're not going to tell you you have to pick this guy. Like, embrace the information. What it does for you is it narrows the list down. Because remember, scouting is about elimination. It's never about finding. And if information can eliminate guys then that helps you. No question. And the bottom line is this. Remember that story we saw the NJ.com, Jersey.com, about Jason Garrett potentially being a candidate for the Giants? Is there any? Now that we know that the Clapper is not going to be coming back, do you think there's any chance Gettleman hires Garrett? I, well, first of all, I don't think Gettleman's – I think Gettleman is really just an instrument out there. I think Gettleman's the spokesman. He's Baghdad Bob. I mean, he's out there for John Mara. He's taking the bullets, but I, he's not – I don't think he's making any of these decisions – I think his ego's been put back in check. I think he's kind of, you know, they've tempered him down. And after that press conference, he might be like Puxatani Bill. I mean, we may never see him again. <laughs> I mean, he'll just let us know if there's six more weeks of winter. And that's it. Go back to your hole, Gettleman. You think they're ever going to put him out there again? Seriously. Like, why would you do that? Like, it just shows you like they didn't. I mean, at least with Marina Oswald, the CIA spent time with her before they put her out there, right? Like, they did three <laughs> months with her, right? So right. she could answer the questions. Like, did the Giants prep this guy at all? Like, seriously, he's speaking for your franchise. He's talking about the direction we're going. You've got to have strength. You've got to stand in front of those guys. Hey, they're coming to kill you. You've got to stand in front of you and say, hey, look, man, here's what we're doing. The Leonard Williams trade. Well, we just traded for him because we wanted to get information. You traded a three and a five for information. Meanwhile, you're telling me you don't like analytics. Like, explain <laughs> all how this all works, right? Like, at some point, stand in front of them and say, look, we traded for Leonard Williams. We think he's a good player, you know? It also helps that we've learned more about him as a human being before we decide what we're going to invest in him. Hey, the three and the five, I'm not worried about losing the three and the five. I'll trade down in the second round. I'll pick up extra assets. I'm not worried. I'll compensate for that. But with the advantage that I've gained in this, this is significant, and we're going to move forward. Instead of embracing it, like he just took a beating. I mean, literally, if there would have been a referee, they would have called the fight. They would have called the fight. They had to clean his gloves, put his mouthpiece back in, and say, go back to your corner. Seriously, they would have cleaned it. It was embarrassing. 
I have people texting me all day. Have you seen this Gettleman press conference? Like, if you want to learn what not to do, like if I was a PR executive, I would use the Gettleman press conference for exactly what not to do. Exactly what not to do. Because he did nothing to make the giant fan base feel there's confidence in moving forward. In fact, he actually heard it. Right. That's the bottom line. If you're looking for leadership, you want stable leadership. You want somebody who believes that we can lead us forward. And if you watch that, it's a rudderless ship. That's what it looks like for the New York Giants right now. And it goes back to John Mara's not wanting to change. Because if John Mara would have gotten rid of Gettleman, that would have meant it's time to change. Now, they say they've changed the grading system. Seriously. Okay? Like, they really haven't. I mean... You can tinker with it, but they're going to be a size-speed team. They've always had a sports psychologist. I mean, they were on the cutting edge of that years ago. They were on the cutting edge of athleticism. They used to have this device called the box. We brought it to Cleveland. Jerry Angelo, who was a, a scout for them, a personnel guy, they had a way of testing athleticism, and it was really valuable. And we brought it to Cleveland with us, and we used it. And it was valuable for us, and we were able to get some athletic guys on our team because of it that were kind of underlying. The Giants in the past have been on the forefront, but they are like a fam- most family businesses. What happens? They have too many people in the family running the family. They can't really make good decisions, and they can't think outside their own agenda. They can't come up with new songs. That's the issue. Yeah, too many cooks in the kitchen, and that's the story for the Giants. Meantime, the Browns making some moves as we continue our Make Me Smarter segment as they dismiss GM John Dorsey days after firing head coach Freddie Kitchens. So the team's ownership said it met with Dorsey over the last 48 hours prior to the move to discuss his role, failed to reach an agreement on a position that would have enabled him to remain with the team. Browns went 13-8-1 over Dorsey's two full seasons of the team. And according to Cleveland.com's Mary Kay Cabot, Dorsey and his top football executives had also been at odds with Browns Chief Strategy Officer Paul DePodesta, who oversees the analytics side. DePodesta is the baseball guy. He had done stuff with the Mets, the Dodgers. Apparently, DePodesta, I mean, he's got so much juice there in Cleveland as they side with him and Dorsey's out. Well, he's also the guy that said Carson Wentz wasn't a top 20 quarterback. Look, I think the reason that Haslam likes DePodesto is he feels like he is truly an executive. I think if you know John Dorsey, who's a really good scout, I mean, John Dorsey can evaluate talent. Now, the complaints that I've echoed on GM Shuffle for all season have been John's inability to weigh character in. John thinks like a scout. He acts like a scout. He behaves like a scout. And I think Haslam saw his talent in terms of evaluating talent, but he couldn't run an organization, which is one of the reasons he got fired in Kansas City was because to handle the whole thing, it was challenging for him. And he needs somebody to tell him, hey, that's not a really good idea. Like, I see the talent, but it's going to be hard on the coach. Like, that wasn't Dorsey's strength. Dorsey was operating as Al Davis in modern times. So, Again, Jimmy has to make a change. He's he's infatuated with DePodesto, even though, you know, DePodesto cost him to Sean Watson. I mean, look, let's face it. You know, you can talk about Baker Mayfield all you want. I mean, they traded the Wentz pick. They said he wasn't a top player. Then they traded that pick to Houston for Carson Wentz. Now, all the analytical people love the fact that he got all these draft picks, but the team's not any better, right? The offensive line is horrendous. The skill players they've got, they've it hasn't come through the draft. Beckham, Jarvis Landry. So, I mean, for me, the Browns start all over again. And what's most concerning is is that Jimmy Haslam, the owner, still hasn't learned. He still wants to set up his organization like the United States government. He wants a House that's filled with Republicans. He wants a Senate that's filled with Democrats. And he wants to be the president, and he wants to be able to make decisions. And that's why they're always in gridlock. That's why there's always bickering between the two. That's why there's always nothing getting really done, because he can't form a consensus 
And that's the issue. The NFL is not a consensus-building institution. It's a paramilitary supreme commander one. Bring the information to the top. Let it flow to the top. Get somebody who can make good decisions based on football, based on everything, and then allow him to make it. What about Urban Meyer? I think consensus would be this guy's obviously a great coach. I don't know how desirous he is of getting back to the sidelines. Uh, Fox, obviously, he's been a TV analyst there, did a great job. Ratings were up. It's a nice, cushy gig. Do you think Urban Meyer would be interested in going to Cleveland? Would he be what that franchise needs? You know, I, I think Urban would be in over his head to take that job. I mean, first of all, he's never been in pro football before. It's way different than the college game. It's way different. I mean, and I don't mean to be egotistical or arrogant about how much intellectually different the college game is than the pro. It's way different. Right. I about to say, to your point, Mike, just ask Nick Saban. I mean, he's the greatest college coach of all time. Things did not work out in Miami. Yeah, I mean, so it would be challenging. I think this is – I think what Jimmy Haslam should do I think he should just embrace Di Podesto. He loves the guy. Like, just embrace him. And make him the president. Let him hire Andrew Barry as the general manager. And then them two go hire Kevin Stefanski. And then let the three of them run the organization without any interference from anybody. And they all are on the same page. Analytically, football-wise, all that. And we'll see where it goes. And give it four years to see where it goes. But if he's trying to fit someone else into this dynamic, I don't think it's going to work. And I think that De Podesto, I know Paul. I've had lunch with Paul. I've talked to Paul's a smart guy. You know, and the fact that Paul doesn't really know football, you know, I'm not being arrogant that that's the case. Paul's smart, he can process, but there's components that you just can't rely on analytics. There has to be a marriage between the tape and the numbers. And if you can't form that marriage, it's funny. They traded Carson Wentz's rights to the Eagles. The Eagles are probably one of the most analytical teams in the NFL. And yet the Eagles analytics said that Wentz was a good player. And the Browns analytics said he wasn't a top 21. So there lies the difference. It's a little bit like, what are you using to sort the data? And if you don't have somebody like Pat Riley or somebody like you know, Bill Belichick, who understands the game completely to help you sort the data of what's really important, what's really important. Sometimes the analytics is going to give you a wrong view. Well, to that point, as you move to the coaching carousel, how about this idea? Maybe if you get Mike McCarthy in there, a guy who's a football guy who certainly has had impact with personnel with the Packers, you have him as the coach, but also a player personnel guy with that maybe ease things because clearly he's a football guy and he's had a, a track record of success with the Packers. Yeah, I mean, look, I think Mike McCarthy would be a real – if Deep Podesto's call is controlling the search, I don't think there's anything analytical about Mike McCarthy that's going to appeal to him. Like, if you ask any of the analytical people about McCarthy, they're going to dismiss him. They're not going to look at his record. They're going to dismiss him and say he's not a good coach. But what Mike McCarthy will do is – like, I think Mike McCarthy's a perfect fit for the Giants – because Mike McCarthy's a really good soldier. I see Mike McCarthy like a beat cop. You know, he's never going to be a detective. He's going to come in. He's going to work his ass off. He's going to do exactly what he needs to do. He's going to help the team prepare to win. And is he going to be unbelievably creative and think outside the box? Probably not. But he's tough-minded. His teams will be tough. I think he's probably going to be better than he was. I mean, the Packer offense last year was better than the Packer offense this year, with the exception of Aaron Jones' ability to run the ball. I think they would get somebody who's really a good soldier who will bring some toughness to the team and perhaps can coach Daniel Jones. But I'm back with you on Daniel Jones. Like I'm not sure Daniel Jones is an elite player. 18 fumbles in one year? Seriously? That's not elite. Parcells had this great point about quarterbacks. There's only 7% of them in the NFL that are elite. Everybody else has to be managed. 
and he's right. It's a great stat. I completely agree. That's 7%. Because there's a reason why it's elite. In life, someone calls a guy elite. It's banning about, like, no, there's only so many elite business managers, so many elite computer programmers. Like It's a very fine line. Otherwise, everyone's elite. It gets diluted. How about another name here? Greg Roman's a hot pick, Mike. Everyone keeps throwing around Greg Roman because he's a Ravens offensive coordinator. What about Roman or maybe a Josh McDaniels with the Browns? I don't see Josh Mc. I mean, first of all, if Josh McDaniels walks into the breath, first of all, we tried to hire Josh McDaniels in 2013, and I know Jimmy Haslam loves Josh McDaniels. When we fired Rob Chizinski, it was with the idea to hire Josh McDaniels. That was what the understanding was. And we interviewed Dan Quinn on New Year's Day in Seattle. Then we went to Boston to interview Josh McDaniels. And after the interview, I thought for sure – Josh McDaniels was the coach of the Browns. In fact, when I landed back, Jimmy got on the plane. I can remember sitting there. Joe Banner was on the plane, Alex Schneider, me. The four of us looked at each other, and Jimmy said to all of us, well, we got a coach. This is the guy. And Jimmy really wanted to hire him at then. And then I think the next day I got a phone call from Jimmy Haslam's dad saying, well, it looks like we got our coach. But by Monday, we had convinced ourselves that we needed to take more time. But we rushed with Chizinski. I wasn't there for hiring of Chizinski. That they rushed with Chizinski, and they needed to take more time. And so off we went to interview Ben McAdoo. And by the time we got on that plane Tuesday morning to fly to Green Bay, McDaniels pulled out. McDaniels is never going to be a coach who's in a pool of people. You either want them or you don't. And you better do your due diligence before you get there. So I don't know if if Josh could walk into this structure that Jimmy has in place without it written in concrete that Josh can come in and not run the organization but control the flavor of the organization. What I tell people all the time is, look, I'm not power hungry. I'm culture hungry. People have a hard time differentiating the two. Like to enact my culture, I've got to have the ability to do that. It's not about power. It's about culture. And if you're not going to give me the ability to enact my culture, like you can go to Dallas and say, I want to enact the culture. Well, that ain't going to happen in Dallas. And it's not going to happen there because it's Jerry's culture. You're going to have to work around Jerry's culture. In Cleveland, you need a culture cleansing. And so if you're not going to get the power to enact your culture, it's hard. And if the GM doesn't believe in your culture, then you've got a civil war. And that's the hardest war to fight. Yeah, much like a colon cleanse, the culture cleanse in Cleveland is not something anybody would be looking forward to. But it, it got to be done. Got to be done. Uh, obviously, you mentioned the Cowboys moving on from the Clapper. Two more I want to hit with you, Mike. Panthers obviously fired Ron Rivera, who is now with the Redskins. So your thoughts on Rivera now with the Skins. I watched uh, our man Kornheiser. Tony was on uh, PTIs to Frank Isola. And he said, let me ask you this. He says to Isola, he goes, do you think that Ron Rivera is a better coach than Marty Schottenheimer? Do you think he's a better coach than Mike Shanahan? Answer is no. He's like, so why do you think all of a sudden you can change things? Isola said, listen. I just think he has, listen, he's been to Super Bowl before. He seems like a strong coach. He has a vision. But Kornheiser's point, which was accurate, Mike, was again, but they've had strong Super Bowl coaches in the past, and things have not worked out. Either way, Redskins have Rivera. Panthers could go after Mike McCarthy, Josh McDaniels, Matt Rule from Baylor, or with a nod to Chris Berman, Eric sleeping with Biennemi. <laughs> and I think they're going to view Biennemi twice. I think it's interesting. I, I think that if Josh McDaniels meets Tepper, I think that that's probably the perfect scenario for him because I think Tepper does get culture. Although, you know, I, I'm not sure it's a done deal, but I would think that that would be the perfect, to me, it's the perfect place because they're not talking about Cam Newton's decision than the coach. They're talking about hiring the coach and then formulating a good strategy for Cam Newton. That, to me, is the perfect dynamic. That's what you have to have. You can't put the cart before the horse. So I think Carolina's sitting there and they're interviewing. He's done a lot of – he's done McCarthy. 
I think the guy that's going to be most compatible to Tepper is going to be the one who can meet his intellectual capacity. And we know he's smart, and I think McDaniels could do that. So as for the Redskins, I mean, look, the difference is time, right? We understand that time can change people. You know, when he hired Marty Schottenheimer, he probably wasn't ready to change. When he hired Mike Shanahan, he had the punter in the building. And so he probably allowed, you know, the punter was undermining everything. I mean, he was subversive from within. And so that didn't work. So now with Rivera, maybe if he allows Rivera to build his organization out, Rivera can at least get it to respectability, which is what I think is probably what you're hoping for. Yeah, I was about to say, uh, the expectations are so low. The Redskins have been so bad. You're right. If you can just get us back to stability, right? Just build a winner. Build some cornerstones. Get us to 8-8. Eight and eight, Get us to 9-7. and seven. We're not looking to go 12-4 and four tomorrow. We know there's a lot of work to be done. Just incremental progress. And I think they'd be happy with Rivera if he could do that. Just bring some structure. Bring some stability. Yeah, I mean, and look, Rivera's going to bring adult supervision to the room, okay? So he's, at least if he has enough clout, like I just saw somebody tweet out that he's been on the job for 20 hours, and he already got rid of the ping pong and shuffleboard tables in the locker room. Like, seriously, like, how hard was it not to do that? Like, that's the first thing that's going to go, right? Like, get that out of there. Like, just get it the hell out of there. Like, this is not an entertainment center. <laughs> like, we're not, they're not college kids. Like, they're coming to work, right? Like, we don't need ping pong tables in the building. Like, one thing about Rivera, you're going to get a mature veteran player who understands the game. So when he does talk to the players, he's not talking as if he's just some guy who's never played. He's talking from his experience. And he's got a pedigree as well. All right, coming up next. Uh, we'll get Mike's picks. Uh, cannot wait for these games. Wild card playoff weekend. We'll tell you who to pick when we come back. All right, now it's time for some picks. Once again, to reiterate, Mike is 46-22-1. That's going against the spread. So, you know, these are some legit picks here. Let's dive right in. Bills and Houston. You just knew, by the way, Buffalo-Houston was going to be the Saturday 435 game on ESPN. Yeah, exactly. Right? It's always the Texan spot. Like, all right, we'll give you the 430 Saturday. Kick yeah, like, they own it. Like, they own it. Like, we're just going to put somebody in. The Texans opened up as a three-point favorite. It, the line right now at South Point is they're a two-and-a-half-point favorite in the game. Points have been a problem for Buffalo. They've scored 17 points or fewer in each of their last four games, whereas Deshaun Watson is 5-0 and in his career against teams to finish the season ranked top five in pass defense. That's Buffalo's greatest strength. They're fourth in pass D, yet Watson's been good against those kind of guys. Going by the numbers, Mike, it would seem like the Texans are the favorite. As you mentioned, not only the fact they're favored by the line, but the Bills haven't beaten the Texans in Houston since week 11 of 2006. Who you got? You know, I, I mean, obviously, I think this will be a, a good game. I think it'll be a close game. And I, and I don't think Will Fuller's going to play, which always makes me worried about Houston. But I, I do think Houston is going to win the game. I think Houston, I think that when you break down the Bills and Josh Allen's inconsistency and the fact what you said perfectly, that they don't win, they haven't scored more than 17 points. And I, and I think that Houston will find a way to make enough plays. I think the other area is, is Houston can work off of the New England game plan that Josh McDaniels put in place, which really caused some problems for Buffalo. Billy O'Brien will use that as a foundation. And I think Romeo Cornell will do a really good job of handling the Bills. I think anytime the Bills play a team that can match offensively, they fall a little bit short. And I think the chess match between O'Brien and Cornell versus the Bills, there's no favorite there. You know, Whereas when the Bills play Dallas, that chess match favored the Bills. I don't see that chess match favoring this game. And I think when you look at Houston – you know, I mean, they're 2-2 two and two of the last four. They beat Tennessee on the road, tough win. 
They played poorly but still beat Tampa, which is a much better offense than this. I just don't think there's any skill player on Buffalo other than Brown that's going to challenge the weakness of the Texan defense, which is their, their secondary. I think the playing at home, I think Deshaun Watson, I'm not going to go against him in the game. I like Deshaun Watson. I would lay the two and a half, and I would take Deshaun Watson. All right, Texans defense does give up a lot of yards, but you're right. Josh Allen and company have not done a good job in terms of generating offense. 19.6 points per game. They have averaged for the entire season. That's the lowest among all the teams that made the playoffs. Titans and the Patriots. Big game Saturday night. How about these numbers? Tell me which quarterback's which. One guy, 70% completion percentage, 22 touchdowns, 6 picks. The other guy, 60.8 completion percentage, 24 touchdowns, 8 picks. The first guy is Tannehill. The second guy is Tom Brady. Tannehill has completed passes at a 10% higher clip, less interceptions. He's got a much higher passer rating. It's rare to ever see Tom Brady has not been the better quarterback, at least by the numbers. And the Titans have Derrick Henry, who is the rushing leader. It feels in some ways, Mike, the Pats are ripe for an upset, but we know how well this team plays in the playoffs, and it's awfully tough to bet against Belichick and Brady. Who do you got? Well, let me give you a little stats here. Okay, so Ryan Tannehill in his career in Foxborough is 0-6. He's been outscored by 133 points in those games. He has thrown uh, five touchdowns, 10 interceptions up there. Now, let's go another step further. Let's take it, just break it down just another step. If this temperature goes below 40 degrees, which apparently it's going to, because we're going to get the beloved winter mix there up in New England. Love the winter mix. Yeah. Ryan Tannehill in temperatures less than 40 degrees is one in four. So we have worlds colliding here. Now, the thing I would say, and, and someone said this to me, well, he might be 0-6 in Foxborough, but he's never played as well as he's playing now. That's true. The other thing I know concretely, that running games never win playoff games. Running games never win playoff games. Like, the running back never carries a team through the playoffs. We always talk about it before the game. Well, they got this great run game. But the running game has to be supplemented by the passing game. And I think the Patriots have been embarrassed. And I think the Patriots defensive players have been embarrassed. And when you look over the last eight weeks of the season for the Patriots, they're 4-4. Four and four. Now, their defense has come what played more normal than they have played in the past. I mean, they've allowed... 6.89 yards per attempt, which two months ago they were averaging only five yards per attempt. So people are making more plays. They're making some plays over 25 yards. I think this game is going to come down to can Tennessee protect and handle all the different variations. And when Tannehill has to play faster, which is what Belichick has always tried to make him do when he was in Miami, can he do that? And will he protect the football? I think he turns it over. I think this is New England's probably best game of the year. I'm going to take New England's and lay the points. One thought here on Brady and the offense. According to Pro Football Focus, Brady's receivers dropped 34 of his attempts this season, second most among quarterbacks by Prescott. Do you think his receiving core finally has a better game? I do. I do. I think they're going to double Edelman. They're going to pack the middle of the field against him. I mean, because that's what everybody's been doing. They're going to double Edelman, pack the middle of the field, and Brady's going to have to make some throws on the outside. I think, look, one thing about being humiliated, and they were, let's face it, losing to Miami in a game that matters. When's the last time the Patriots lost a regular season game that really mattered at home? Hard to find. They're 6-2 and two at home this year. They've lost twice at home in the last month, which is not typical. I think this is one of those games where Brady is going to have to play his best game, and I think he's still capable of playing a game or two of really well, and so is this offense. I think the offensive line has played better over the last month, and he's just going to have to make some throws, whether it's Dorsett, whether it's Harry. They're going to have to throw the ball on the outside. I think they can do that. I think the Pats win the game. I don't think they go any further than that, but I'm with you as far as them beating the Titans on Saturday at Foxborough. 
it's an awfully tough game for Tennessee to win. Moving on to Sunday's games in the NFC, the Minnesota Vikings and the New Orleans Saints. Sunday at 105 Eastern, Kirk Cousins, 26 touchdowns, 6 picks. Drew Brees, 27 touchdowns, 4 picks, and completing passes at 74%. I like the Saints in this one, Mike, because I just think, again, when you look at big moments, you mentioned Tannehill's record at Foxborough. Cousins is 7-16. and 16. That's a 304 win percentage in primetime and playoff games in his career. Now, you could use the same line you said about Tannehill. Cousins hasn't played as well as he is now, but I like the Saints in this one. You? I do, too. I, I would lay the points for the Vikings. I would take the Vikings in the points here. I think it'll be a close game. I mean, the Vikings are 2-2 two and two against the Saints. Three of the games have been at home up in Minnesota. This is the first game that's going to be down in New Orleans. And I think it'll be a good game. Look, the last four weeks, the, the Saints haven't turned the ball over. They've only turned it over one time. Drew Brees has been sensational. They're only 18 for 43 on third down, but where the Saints gain such an advantage, and this is where I think Sean Baton's brilliance shows up, is they're so good at converting first downs and two downs. They play Canadian football better than anybody. And that's going to be really critical in this game is to play Canadian football. I think this could be a little bit of a track meet. I think both teams will throw the football effectively. I think both quarterbacks will have good days. I just think it's going to come down to Drew Brees winning the game for this. I think it's a field goal game. I think New Orleans wins. Brees has also been the beneficiary of a good offensive line. According to Next Gen Stats, Brees has been under pressure on 19% of dropbacks this season. That's the second lowest in all of football. So there's a reason why he was able to have another strong season. Of course, Michael Thomas is so critical. That guy has the most career receiving yards per game in the playoffs in the Super Bowl era. He's going to get 100 yards if the Saints are, of course, going to be successful in this one. Even if they don't be successful, he's going to get his 100 yards. And lastly, the Seahawks and the Eagles, Sunday at 440 on NBC. Carson Wentz has never beaten the Seahawks, has never played well against the Seahawks, but he's playing the best football of his career. Uh, he's been great down the stretch the line right now, Mike, tell me what the line is. I feel like it's a pick em, isn't it? It is. A, I mean, it's at one. I mean, the line on – oh, hold on. I didn't give out the line on the last two. Let me do that so I'd be very clear. I would take Houston and lay the points. I would take New England and lay the five. It's five points right now, pretty much steady across the board. Minnesota is an underdog by seven and a half. I would take the Vikings in the seven and a half here. And in this game, Seattle's favored by a point and a half. I mean, Philly the last four weeks – now, look, they've played – in the last four weeks, they've played teams that are basically firing their coach, right? They played Washington once, fired their coach. They played the Giants twice, fired their coach. And they played Dallas, fired their coach. So the, the four-game win streak, they fired their coaches. So none of those teams we know are very good. You know, the two of the teams have combined for seven wins. But I do think there's an underlying story here that, that goes beyond who they've played. And that's that the Eagles have been almost 50% on third down. And the last time they played Seattle, they were 4-for-12 for on third down. The reason third down is so important for the Eagles is because it allows their defense to play less. They are averaging 36 minutes with the football because of their ability to convert third downs. And I think they're playing at such a high level right now that even though Seattle has played close games and this game will go into the fourth quarter, I think the Eagles will win this game by three points only because I think the Eagles can run the football. If they run, Seattle's given up over 5.3 yards per attempt against the rush in the last four weeks. They have a hard time playing the run. And I, even though I hate going against Russell Wilson, I think that the Eagles have enough, even though they don't have great skill, they have enough to make enough plays against the Seattle defense that I think is very suspect. 
and I think Seattle will struggle. I think Russell Wilson will struggle against this Eagle defense. He did the first time. I like the Eagles on the points. Yeah, you mentioned the running backs. Also, the tight ends are so critical. We know that with the Eagles. After they have those injuries to the receiving core, they've gone to that two-tight end system. They have the third most receiving yards by a tight end in a single season in the Super Bowl era. And Seattle allowed the second most receiving yards of tight ends this season. So that's been a huge – I mean, that safety valve for, for Carson Wentz, you just see it over and over, whether it's been Ertz or Dallas Goddard. The tight ends have been huge for this offense. Yeah, no doubt. And, I, I mean, look, Seattle, they're resilient. Give Pete Carroll credit. They fly around. They play hard. doesn't matter what the score looks like in the first quarter or in the second quarter. You know it's going to be a close game in the fourth quarter. I think it's hard to beat a team twice on their own field. I think it's really hard to do that. The last game the Eagles played, they were never in the game. It was 17-3. to They scored late. And when you break down what the Eagles did in that game, I mean, in the second half, when it's a 10-3 game, you know, the Eagles' second half, they go fumble, punt, fumble, downs, interception, finally score a touchdown, you know? But they just beat themselves, and I think that that's the message here. If they don't beat themselves, Wentz has only had two picks at home all year, right? And he threw them against Seattle. So he's got to protect the football, which I think he will. Carson Wentz yet to ever win a playoff game, so he can get a huge monkey off his back if he can beat Seattle on Sunday. Those are the picks. Coming up after the break, we'll talk about whether or not Jacoby Brissett will be the Colts quarterback next season and whether Phillip Rivers is done with the Chargers. Could Tom Brady be there? We'll talk about it next. All right, we'll recap college bowl season and talk a little Phillip Rivers and Tom Brady, but first it's time for Joe's question of the week. Guys, Colts general manager Chris Ballard said the jury is still out on whether Jacoby Brissett will be the team's quarterback next season. Do you guys think the Colts will bring back Brissett as their starter next season? Yeah, the starter is the key point, Joe, because I think Jacoby Brissett's a part of the team, but I wouldn't be surprised if they bring somebody in, a veteran quarterback, to kind of push him a little bit. I mean, listen, it was an awkward situation with Andrew Luck disappearing before the season even begins. And obviously, I think Locke made the best decision for himself, but didn't work out for the team. Brissett's okay, Mike. He does not throw the ball well down the field. You look at his numbers, he's always going to get about 200 yards passing. He's not electric. So I think they bring somebody in to push him, whether or not he's a starter. It depends how camp goes. I agree. I think he's not going to be the starter. I think they know they got to get better there. I think they look at their season. They love the kid. They love his leadership. Lacks anticipation with throws, which has been his problem at NC State, New England. I mean, he can win some games. It's got to be the perfect play at the perfect time. I love the kid. Just there's a little bit, just that anticipation. Everything has to be set up perfectly for him, and it's hard to do that week in and week out. So, yeah, I do think they move on. I think, And I think anybody's in play, whether it's Phillip Rivers. I think they've got to get a bridge to the next guy and they're going to draft a guy uh, you know could come from the draft I think they have Frank Wright they know they got a good coach so they know they can develop a quarterback I think it's going to be you know does it mean they're going to use a one on them I don't think so I think they'll probably try to find a guy that they feel like they can develop and grow within their system all right meantime we go to the GM Shuffle mailbag as always you can email us the GM Shuffle at gmail.com and follow the GM Shuffle on Instagram now as well with reports that Philip Rivers has done in L.A., Brady may not be coming back to New England. Can you really see these two quarterbacks on their respective teams at the start of the 2020 season? Tony from Maine. You know, I, I was earlier in the year I was saying that I think that Brady would be back. I'm not sold that he is going to be back. And I don't know where that what that means, where he goes. Could it be retirement? It could. I think there's a lot of things in play right now that, that are outside of what we all know. And I think there's too many things that have happened in Tom's, whether you sell the house, all that. You know, I, I think there's a lot of decisions that we can't really make. You know, until you ha take a month off from the season, 
you really don't know what you want to do. I mean, if, if you made the decision now, it would be based on emotion, and no decision is based on emotion. I have a hard time thinking that the Chargers will let Phillip Rivers out of there. I think they do assign him to a short-term two-year deal, let him keep playing, and then draft somebody. It's amazing to think Brady not in New England, but you're right. It appears like the, that clock is just ticking a little bit more now in that other direction. College bowl games, uh, LSU-Clemson is the national championship game taking place January 13th at 8 p.m. We talked before about how Joe Burrow was uh, completely incredible in that game against Oklahoma, and Clemson and Trevor Lawrence looked awfully good. Any other games you want to focus on, Mike? Georgia beats Baylor 26-14 in the Sugar Bowl. Uh, Oregon beat Wisconsin in the Rose Bowl by one point. Some good games took place on New Year's Day. Yeah, it really did. I, I mean, I thought the Baylor game, I thought I think Matt Rule's a really good coach, but I think Baylor's program wasn't quite to the Southeast Conference level yet. It's going to take a couple more years of recruiting to get there. That line was moving in the direction of Baylor. I never saw that, and I think I, I recommended on Vison to take Georgia to end up being the right pick. I also recommended to take Oregon. I think that was the wrong – I mean, Oregon didn't cover. So I thought Oregon you know, got fortunate with that pass interference call. Or I, I thought it was – actually, I didn't think it was that bad of a call. You know, the guy's running, and, and you know, the guy took him out of position – I mean, Oregon's just so on. Even in that game, they underachieve. And I think the underlying conversation, and this is probably for another pod, is how good is Justin Herbert? I'm not sure the answer to that. I'm not sure. But the one thing I will say, the one thing I did enjoy we didn't touch on, which is safe for another time, is that MVP Mitch is coming back as a starter. Nagy making it clear the Bears are riding their wagon to Trubisky. He's their guy. And this is the thing. Just finished his third season. He's got one more year left, and then I believe maybe an option for year five. So Yeah, that's right. You know, in the old Western movies, my mother used to love Westerns. You know, she used to love sit there and watch the Westerns. In the old Westerns, you know, they had the saloon, and behind the saloon was a cemetery for all the people who got in fights at the saloon. They just buried them right there. Well, they're going to have a saloon in, in Chicago, and all the coaches that Trubisky get fired are going to get buried around back. I mean, because that's what it's going to be. Like, they fired five offensive coaches. They're, gonna, they're not going to stop. They're going to keep firing coaches until somebody finally says, like what happened in Jacksonville, you know, David Caldwell, Blake Bortles does suck. You know, and, and we're going to have to get rid of them. Even though you fired 70 people before we got to this conclusion, that's what's going to happen. Great Westerns like the searchers. The Bears will be searching for an answer if you believe in MVP, Mitch. Good luck with all your picks. Once again, Mike will make you some money. We'll be back here talking about the game Sunday night. Should be a ton of fun.